Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as comedian, host of Steampunks and The Horning Hour on, a- on the ABC, co-host of 28 Plays Later, regular on the project, unicorn enthusiast, unicron enthusiast. Yeah. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Paul Verhoeven. Thank you so much for having me. Paul, it's wonderful to be speaking with you. Oh. In social settings, mm. how do you introduce yourself? Uh, I, I sort of just run in and scream, thrash around and let people, you know, sort of assume the best. Or do you mean how do I describe who and what I am in a social setting? Yes, Okay. Uh, let's see. It's getting harder and harder because, you know, about three, four years ago, I was just doing radio. So I could just say, oh, I work in radio. I guess now mm-hmm. I sort of go with um, kids TV host. That's sort of, I mean, in terms of like ratio, that's sort of the most accurate description of mm-hmm. what I do. Um, but I, I think, I honestly think that bio that you read out, you know, kind of nails it in that it says everything and nothing all at once. Um, I'm, I'm spread... I'm spread very thin at the moment. I'm doing lots and lots of stuff. So you, you seem like a very and kind of guy. I'm Paul, and I'm doing this. I and I'm doing that, and I'm doing this. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's sort of been my way of um, channeling my ADD, which <laughs> is very much active, thriving, in fact, uh, into doing a lot of stuff at once. You know, I'm like a hydra. I've sort of got a, I've got a head in every in every pie. That metaphor doesn't work at all, does it? No, it works for me. Nice. How do you manage to keep all of those pies filled? Um, let's see. I'll be honest. Some of them are empty quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my thing is I sort of just like kind of a bit of everything. Like I just, I like stuff. Like when I originally got to Melbourne, um, I was working in community TV. And at that point I really enjoyed community TV and I really enjoyed nerd culture. And then when radio popped up, I sort of just got obsessed with radio and did nothing but radio for many years. And then mm. I went across to kids TV and was doing nothing but kids TV. And then I was doing nothing but writing. But as I've gotten just a touch older, I've started doing, I've started trying to keep, because what I was doing uh, is effectively doing one thing and then shutting it off forever and then moving to the next thing. Whereas now I'm like, I'd like to keep all those doors open. So I'm sort of dabbling now. I'm doing a little yes. bit of everything, um, which can be exhausting. And it does require um, fairly good scheduling, which with somebody as absent-minded as me is pretty, uh, it's a pretty tall order. So I do have a diary now. I think that's actually helping a little bit. Is it a, a physical book diary or, or an electronic function diary? Oh, well, my, um, my partner, Tegan, um, who, uh, who, you know, uh, yes, yes, uh, actually got me a diary for Christmas and it's an actual leather bound Moleskine sort of thing. And there's so much implied, you better use this, like just (laughs) seeping out of every page that I sort of, I'm using it partly out of guilt, partly because I want to impress her. And honestly, as I've started using it more and more, it's really satisfying kind of filling it out and seeing that plus let's face it, man, like nobody writes on paper anymore. You know, it's a, it's a relic. It, it feels like, um, it feels like a kind of hipsterish bespoke hobby, which let's face it is how I have to frame most things. That's how I'm framing exercise now. You know? <laughs> Do you get a sense of achievement out of looking back over past days and going, yeah, yeah, I did all of these sorts of things and wow, look at the things that I've got to do. Or is it, is it a pressure? Uh, on you? Uh, it started as pressure. 
but there is a real sense of achievement because when you look at a week of stuff and you've had a whole bunch of things that you've organized and you've crossed them off one by one. Yeah. You, yes. do, you do sort of feel like a bounty hunter, just, you know, like checking off um, notches on his belt from all the people he's killed and left in ditches, you know? <laughs> and then you, then at the end of the week, you hand your belt into the, to the man with one eye behind the tavern and he gives you a nod and hands you a sack full of gold. And you're like, sweet, another week, another bunch of families, horribly orphaned. Um, so that's how I like to approach my, um, my deadlines uh, as literal deadlines. Another bit of hair in your Wookiee braid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. What was life like before Melbourne? Oh, God. Well, I studied film over at um, uh, the University of New South Wales in Sydney. I was working mm-hmm. at a video store in Chinatown and, you know, drinking way too much and doing lots of theatre and ha- right. yeah, having a really good time. And then uh, a relationship finished up. My postgrad degree didn't really take off and... Um, I sort of had this moment with my ex, 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 so several exes back. And um, I was having a bit of a fight with her and somebody had mentioned that they had a sofa free in Melbourne and she said something awful. And I said, fine, we'll move to Melbourne. And, uh, and she said, fine, do it. No, fine. I will. And she sort of called my bluff. And so I kind of had to. So <laughs> I, yeah, I, pa- I packed a few bags, caught a plane across and was crashing on um, this guy, Dan Wormsley's couch for a while. And he was, uh, he was heading up a, cho- a show on Channel 31 called Planet Nerd, and he got me in as a co-host. Mm. So that's how everything started. Great. But up until then, I was, you know, I was living with my parents. Um, I, I tried moving out, and that didn't really work out very well. I was living in Redfern um, over in Sydney, and things got a wee bit sketchy over there. So, you know, I ran back home with my tail between my legs, and it was good. I really enjoyed university. I was, you know, I had a whole bunch of really good friends. I was, I was loving being on stage. I, I, mm. I really enjoyed the theatre. My friend Josh... Brandon was directing and writing plays and he did a stage version of Pulp Fiction in which I played both Pumpkin, that's uh, Tim Roth's character. Yes. So I was doing the dinosaur scene at the, at the beginning and end. I had to actually learn, learn to smoke for that. That was a weird period of my life where for a theatre production, I decided to try and learn to convincingly smoke cigarettes. Um, and that was, that was a weird three months. And then I also <laughs> played the Gimp. Um, so oh, great. yeah, so, uh, my friend Paul who played Butch actually got to punch me in the face, but one night he actually contacted me in the face with Ooh. his, uh, with his fist, but because I was wearing a gimp mask, a full on gimp mask, uh, they didn't know until they peeled it off backstage and I had dry blood all over my face. So I had to get that cleaned up. So, you know, there was lots of kind of just random, you know, anecdotal university ish stuff happening like that. Um, so life before Melbourne was, it felt very much like, uh, it felt like a weird transition from childhood to adulthood. You know, I was getting all that stuff mm. out of my system and then I came to Melbourne um, and I really sort of just hunkered down and, you know, I got a job. Like I was working as a financial consultant at a bank, which for people who know me and know- What? Yeah, because my my financial uh, decisions have been spectacularly stupid. I'm looking across at a massive <laughs> Lego Millennium Falcon, uh, a, a TARDIS teapot, like a, a, a huge anime collection, just stuff that I've blown so much money on. Um so for me to be giving people advice on their home loans seems, well, it seems kind of hypocritical. But, you know, I, I, I spent about a year and a half as a financial consultant before making the Lynch Triple J. So, yeah, I sort of, I think I went a bit overboard pretending to be an adult when I got here. You know, I actually wore a suit and try and I tried to, um, mm. I tried to overcompensate before I realized that, look, I, I've got a lot of growing up to do. Why not sort of embrace it? So, you know, then I slipped right back into being a professional idiot and I haven't really stopped doing that since then. So, yeah. I have so many questions. Oh, please go ahead. There are, no, I, I'm not sure that we have an, enough hours in the day. 
yeah. I mean, well, let's just quickly jump back. Life working in a video store in Chinatown in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a job that you're having as a student to help support life at uni, yes? Uh, yeah, I guess. But also, because when I was about, I think, 17, I just started university and I was a very, very big um, – I was a big movie fan and mm-hmm. I had never had a part-time job that I liked. I'd worked in every crappy, I'd worked in Big W, McDonald's, Target, Night Phil. I'd just done all these shitty jobs. Uh, and then what I did was I walked into my local video store and just walked up straight to the manager and just said, you need to hire me. And she went, why? And I went, blah, blah, blah. I rattled off this like wanky list of reasons. And surprisingly, she said yes. And I think I kind of hopped from video store to video store for like six years. And it's, it's going to be tricky to describe to my kids what a video store is. Cause, mm. Cause it's such a relic. It's like, um, you know, it's like borders. It's not going to exist. I mean, I don't, th- I, I think there's a blockbuster still in Armadale where I live, but I mean, Armadale's very, it's very white and old and rich. And I don't think they know yet. I think there's a sort of cultural <laughs> lack. I think there are still people who just like tottering down to the video store and grabbing videos, but it just, man, it's like, um, it's like a temporal echo. It doesn't feel right. It's anachronistic. So I worked in video store in Chinatown and we would do this thing where at about 9 p.m. every Saturday, the customers yes. would s- kind of slow down, the flow of customers would slow down. And we had this uh, water cooler with big plastic cups and we would basically fill about nine to 10 cups with beer and keep that behind the counter and then just shut the doors but not lock them so that regulars who knew us would come and hang out. And we'd have these like yes. three or four hour parties from nine until closing time. Um and we just drink and watch The Big Lebowski and all that cliche oh. 90s video store stuff that people, you know, used to enjoy doing. Um, and when I got to Melbourne, I thought, oh, man, I could totally relive the glory days, get back into the video store game. And even then they were shutting down. You know, I'm, I have no idea how long that, that leg's been kicking on the side of the road. Like, it's it's over, man. So video store work is very fun. Video store in Chinatown was very fun. All, all yeah. Most of my... Um, employees uh, who I worked with um, were like the coolest Chinese dudes. This one guy, Jason, um, is responsible for my anime addiction. He just, he would hand me just, you know, USB drives of pirated anime and just could trust me, watch episodes 300 to 350, skip this, skip that. And he kind of curated this list of pop cultural ditties for me. And then I got him into Star Trek. It was this cool kind of like cultural exchange of nerd properties. Um, Wow. Yeah. So when I got to Melbourne, I had this sort of really fully fleshed out nerd library of stuff that I was into, which plugged really neatly into, um, into, you know, what I would end up doing work-wise. So. Has professional nerddom paid off for you? Uh, let me let me answer your question with this. About a year and a half, two years ago, I got contacted by the people over at Sony, and they were familiar with my Twitter and Instagram following. They were familiar with my YouTube following, and um, they basically said, okay, we would like you to come across to Las Vegas for the CES conference, which is like the big international conference where mm-hmm. you know people unveil all new kinds of gadgetry and tech and whatnot. It takes over, it literally takes over Las Vegas for a whole week. There are strip clubs outside the front of which there are signs saying like 50% discounts and free drinks for anyone at CES because those nerds go crazy on the source apparently. So I, and now naturally when presented with this opportunity, I said, what are you saying? I can't afford to go to Vegas. They go, no, 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 we'll pay. So what they did is effectively my nerd profile somehow had me in Vegas for a week. We went to three Cirque du Soleil shows. We stayed at the Cosmopolitan. I got to, I got like the most insane, they were just flinging money at us. And it was also that people with, you know, some sort of mild nerd 
cult profiles could basically just just casually talk about their trip. We didn't have to plug anything. We didn't have to endorse anything. We just had to go, hey, we're down here. Sony have flown us down. Um, maybe the occasional Instagram post. It was all very casual and it was all very... Yeah. And then, you know, 2K Games, um, who make uh, Borderlands and all the wrestling mm. games and all that other stuff, they've flown me to the States twice, I've been to New York twice, San Francisco twice. Um, I, I get sent Lego to review. I get, I've, I've been doing work for Mad Men lately. It's really mm. nice because I, I, I won't talk about or plug anything that I, I don't actually genuinely use or enjoy. Um, but it's been so nice actually getting, because the problem is I have so much free stuff. But there are moments where I am baroque because you get all this amazing stuff to do and see and read and review and watch, but uh, you, you can't just go and sell it. You, you can't pay rent with it or eat it. So I've had to augment my work with them. Um, maybe that's why I'm across so many different fields, just to kind of create this like patchwork quilt of uh, income. So yeah, it's it's absolutely paid off, but it's also been exhausting. It's like it's like spinning plates, man. It's um. It's a juggling act, definitely. But I'm getting to a point, I think, where I've reached a sort of, you know, nice equilibrium. Star Wars? Oh, yeah. Or Star Trek? Oh, you, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, it's tricky. Because Star Trek is like philosophy and diplomacy and exploration, whereas Star Wars is wars. There's like, there's laser swords. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I, I go kind of through like, I think I go through ice ages with these two, you know, mm. as, as many nerds do. You know, it waxes and wanes. Right now, we're in a year of Star Wars. I feel like actually we're entering a decade of Star Wars. Um, mm. And I have done nothing but, you know, read the new comic books and read the new books and listen to the audio plays and play with the Lego. God damn, I've been playing with so much Star Wars Lego. And the movie. I have such high hopes for the film. And like I said, the ADD, part of the ADD is that you get very, very obsessed with things. Um, mm. And it's been very hard to turn that off. It's like a tap with the tap broken. I just, I cannot turn off the flow. I can't staunch the flow of Star Wars obsessiveness right now. So the movie is, um, I think it's like, uh, it's, yeah, the, the movie is the, probably the biggest thing to happen this year, culturally. Um, yes. It's an absolutely huge, huge event. Um, but then again, there's other things sort of, you know, sticking their fingers in my face. Like there's the new X-Files, January 26th. There's new mm. Twin Peaks. There's... You know, there's just some, and, and let's face it, there is a new Star Trek film happening. So, in answer to your question, I would say Star Wars for now. <laughs> for now, I'll, I'll change my answer in five days, probably. But right now, it's Star Wars. When it comes to it, just everything going on in your life, yeah, where do you find your peace? Mm, I, it's really bad to say this. Honestly, I've started to really enjoy whiskey, not as a means of like, not a medicinal thing. I'm not drinking mm. it to dull the pain, but there is something so nice about having like a clean mahogany desk, a, a, a really good bottle of Japanese whiskey, a very clean tumbler, and then, you know, just like a day off and, and, and a new game to review. And I'll just sit there and I'll just, I, it's nice. I guess my, my piece comes from having one thing to do. You know, one thing that I actually want to do as opposed to 20 things. And then, yes. and then just, yeah, just very superficial things. Like, an, like, an, like Agent Cooper in Twin Peaks said, every day, give yourself a present. You know, hmm. that's kind of hmm. what I, like, there's this, like a thing I want. I will take the time to go out and buy it. I tried yoga. Um, I tried Bikram yoga in a room full of sweaty, angry people. Um, problem is I would always do it on Mondays. And the thing about sweating out toxins is that you tend to sweat out the nearest toxin to you. And after the weekend, 
people just stink of the most horrible, you know, chemicals imaginable. So mm. I, I stopped yoga. I tried jogging. That's uh, that's a pretty good way to calm down. But like I said, after 10 minutes of that, you, you're just angry again. Um, sleeping in makes me feel guilty. Uh, I'm playing video games for work anyway. Mm. Sometimes I think that gynecologists must must not enjoy vaginas anymore. That's kind of how I feel about video games sometimes. Um, mm. You know, that's uh, a horrible image. So yeah, I, the- I guess I'm going to fall back on just a, just just whiskey and, a, and a, just whiskey, neat, and a, and a, and a and a and a sunset. Oh, let's not forget, uh, girlfriend. Girlfriend is good. Um, good save. Just no, no. But I'm deadly serious, man. There is nothing better than coming home to somebody you genuinely want to be around. I think that actually helps. Completely you know? agree. Or like, like, yeah. Or like any of my any of my like friends. Just hanging out with mates is just the best way to relax because. Most of my most of my time is spent deeply immersed, just neck deep in fictional universes with fictional characters and pixels. It's so nice to just sit down with real people. You know, it's something so. Yes. It's almost novel at this point. I spend so much time immersed in video games. You know, it's 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 so lovely just to sit across from somebody in their stupid ugly face and just just grab them and kiss them. It's great. It's great. Do you what a strange have- answer to a perfectly lovely question? <laughs> Do you have to <laughs> schedule time to spend with your partner? No, uh, it just happens all the time. Because um, she works uh, writing for a sketch comedy show and uh, mm-hmm. she's doing stand-up gigs. I'm generally out at gigs with her because, you know, we move in the same circles. Uh, we genuinely like hanging out with each other. So, yeah, I'm sure if we reach a point where... Oh, I'm sorry. She was actually on the road for a couple of weeks recently. And, yeah, that sucked. But... You know, we, we talked lots. I don't know, man. If you like somebody, it's if you're really good friends with somebody or, you know, um, you truly have a special relationship with your partner, even with family that you like, it doesn't matter how much time you spend apart. When you get back to hang out with them, it's just, it's like no time pass at all. You know, it, yes. it's not, it's not a, it's not a timestamp based relationship. It's not, it's not a vending machine you have to keep pumping tokens into. There are some friends where if you don't spend a lot of time with them all the time, it's like they forget who you are. That's that's a real bummer. That's not what it's like with my friends and my and my partner. It's just, you know, people understand that you, you're you going to be busy sometimes, you know? Yeah. Hmm. What can't you tolerate? Uh, <laughs> can you be more specific? <laughs> are there... I'm not meeting people necessarily, oh, course, but, but things uh, either abstract or finite ideas that you find difficult to accept or accept people who hold those views. Uh, oh, well, until relatively recently, uh, I would have said uh, Tony Abbott and the uh, Liberal Party, but thankfully that's, that's kind of sort of tempered a little bit. Um, I despise Stephen Moffat. And his work on Doctor Who, it makes me physically angry. Um, I guess, God, I'm I'm, I'm really struggling with, because I kind of fell into a hole recently where I started consoling myself about my life by bitching about the lives of other people. You know, just finding Mm -hmm. finding flaws. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of cattiness and clickiness and bitchiness in the comedy scene and in the entertainment industry. Um, And I really did fall into a hole where I kind of, I started to really enjoy complaining uh, and and just chewing other people out behind their backs. And it was a very short lived phase, frankly. And that, that quality in myself and in others, I really, I really sort of despise. Um, laziness is a big problem with me uh, because, you know, we sort of hate the flaws that we have in ourselves and God damn, I'm lazy. 
just so hmm. lazy sometimes. So I guess, like we said, tying it back to the diary. Wow. The diary has absolutely helped in that respect. Um, I don't know. Uh, can we go back to Stephen Moffat? Because I really don't like <laughs> Stephen Moffat. Um, I just, it just sucks when you're one of your favorite pop cultural properties is just being driven into the ground. Um, you know, Capaldi's amazing. Um, the, a lot of great people involved. He was very good at writing, uh, you know, standalone episodes when Russell C. Davies was in charge. But as you know, he can't run a show for crap. So it's like uh, he sort of writes like a Chinese meal, you know, just bursts of intense salty flavor. But you can't eat nothing but Chinese food. You'll get, I guess, the televisual equivalent of diabetes. Like you just you shouldn't do it. It's not good for you. Mm. So but like I said, I'm, you know, I have ADD, so I can always just switch the track across to Star Wars and pretend that Doctor Who doesn't exist until they fix it. Um what else don't I like? God, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a bit of. Can, I'm actually. I, I got. I got sorted on Pottermore. I'm a Hufflepuff. I'm. I'm I think I'm pretty optimistic <laughs> and positive. So I do find it hard to find things to complain about. Generally speaking, um, so yeah, I actually think things are pretty good. Generally, you know. You mentioned that you know there was a, a short period of your time where you fell into that criticism bubble mm-hmm. that happens around the entertainment industry. How how did you get out of that? Um. Uh, I, I sort of found myself saying really nasty stuff. And after a while, somebody uh, close to me pointed out that that wasn't really, it didn't really suit me. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing worse than, uh, there's, there's nothing worse than your girlfriend and your mom in quick succession, you know, independent of each other saying, that's kind of disappointing, um, you know, that I'd said some really horrible stuff. And I didn't even mean it. I think I just enjoyed mm-hmm. the sound of my own voice, you know, um, saying clever, but nasty things. Because back when I was reviewing films, it was really fun to... It's so much easier to write about a bad film than it is a good one. It's so much easier mm. to form beautiful, articulate, just just dangerous, perfectly honed weapons of insults and just drive them into the heart of creatives. Like, it's so much more fun and easy to do that. Um, and it's exactly the same with, like, when you leave a show and somebody asks, what did you think of it? And you go, let's wait till we're around the corner so no one can hear. And you both go, oh, this is going to be great. And then you just sit there and you drive the knife in and you both feel kind of dirty. And you do that for long enough and you sort of feel a bit gross. Um, and I, I'm, I still struggle with it occasionally. Uh, and I also think that the stuff that we make fun of people for and the, the, the flaws that we point out about people are the things we don't like about ourselves um, or the qualities that we used to have, but we think we've kind of evolved past. So we're shitting on other people for not having, you know, had the epiphanies you've had. It's really just the height of arrogance. And it's, it's a horrible, horrible, you know, part of humanity is just to, and it's, it's, it seems very Australian, you know, the tall poppy syndrome, just kind of just, just dumping Mm -hmm. on people who haven't reached your level of enlightenment yet. Like nobody's perfect. So yeah, I had a few people I really respected kind of tell me that they were disappointed in the way I was talking about other people. And I sort of just felt ashamed um and i didn't want to let him down so i kind of cut it out and it's you know i still i still get the urge to say stuff and i still have these perfectly crafted you know zingers ready to go but i'm I'm trying to be i'm trying to be better i think sometimes maybe a little bit yes yeah yeah how important are the the relationships that you have with those people that obviously care about you Mm. and took the time to say hey paul come on (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh they're very very important um i'm very close to my family mm-hmm. uh really 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 close living in melbourne has sort of calcified that actually um provided i'm using the word calcified in the proper way and it's actually a good thing um 
Yeah, it's been really nice. Getting some distance from my folks was really good. I, I was always close with them, but things were getting a little bit, you know, a little bit snarky. So whenever I do see them, um, I try and talk to them as much as I can. And they're always across stuff in my career. Like um, I was, I had a very small role in an episode of Utopia um, this year. And the, the first thing that happened after it screamed was my mum calling me up and just yelling down the phone and how proud she was. And just, you know, when somebody is legitimately behind you all the way, and they sort of look at you and tell you that they're kind of, they're kind of, you know, they kind of think that what you just said was gross. Like I did a tweet uh, last year and it was, it was what I thought was one of the finest jokes I've ever made. And a lot of people agree, but my mom went, Paul, that really upset me. And I went, oh my God, I've let her down. So I deleted the tweet. It's nice to have a kind of moral barometer because like, let's be honest, you need to be able to gauge the way you behave in relation to people you respect and admire, right? Because I'm not yes. I'm not a religious guy, so I don't have these sort of like moral codes stamped and handed down from on high. But what I do have are people that I look up to um, and that I don't want to don't want to piss off. So and that I'm frankly sometimes afraid of. So I, I I use their moral guidance as opposed to that of a higher power. You know, so yes. it's very important to me. Um, I don't I don't have any mentors. I don't have any kind of career mentors that I'm moving towards. I would like one, but I think in terms of actual personal growth and, you know, the way I act um, every day, God, it's just, it's really nice to have people around you to kind of tell you to pull your head in, you know? Yes. Mm. Particularly people that do it because they care about you deeply. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what one thing would you change about your life today? Uh, oh, easy. Um, exercise. I need to exercise. I have such trouble because I think the problem is I find exercise boring because it doesn't have a narrative. If I could change anything mm. about my life, I would somehow <laughs> invent some sort of exercise that had like a, cause let's face it. My brain is wired on like a really clear reward system. Right. So sure. If there was some, if there was some way to structure a jog so that I was, you know, dodging bad guys and reloading guns and climbing things kind of like, um, like, uh, like, like CrossFit with zombies would be good. I, I genuinely need somebody to create a, the perfect exercise program for me. And I need to have a reward system at the end. And I think I need, you know, I really, I need incentive, but I also just yes. get very bored and very distracted. I, I tried putting podcasts, uh, in the mix and listening to podcasts while I ran, but I found mm -hmm. that my anger with my exercise and at my body was so much that I had to go back and listen to the last five minutes, you know, of a podcast that I missed because I was swearing at nobody. Um, <laughs> I I really want to be fit. I God, I want to be fit because I have moments where I where I get fit, like three months at a time, where I'll exercise intensely, and then the smallest distraction crops up and just drags me away from it. Like there's a big like Fallout Four is a very good example. Big AAA game that I'm really into and really obsessed with. That baby comes out and, oh boy, I am flabby as hell for like a few months after that. So I, I think what I need is just, if I could change one thing about my life, it would be discipline, uh, specifically in the exercise department. Um, I think I'm pretty good at taking care of people around me. I don't really need to work on that, I don't think, although you can always do better. Um, I need to stop buying ice cream Every day I went through this no, phase. Don't. No, cause I, I do no, no. Cause what I'll do is I'll buy a, I buy a cookies and cream tub of ice cream mm. and then I'll mm. buy a bag of marshmallows and a bag of clinkers. 
I will smash the clinkers up, smush it through the ice cream, and then microwave a bowl of marshmallows, pour it on the ice cream, and then it forms a kind of like ice magic marshmallow shell. Mm. I will then grate white chocolate on top and eat it. And then when people get home and ask me where the ice cream went, and they look at the recycling bin full of like just this war zone of wrappers. And I, I have to tell them what I did with my day off. And then I feel ashamed. So I think what I need to do is just instigate some sort of like, no, 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 uh, you've had enough part into my brain. Because that just does not exist. I, I am the king of excess. God forbid if I ever got into gambling or drugs, I would be screwed, you know? I'm not sure that Fallout 4 is your problem, Paul. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's pretty good. <laughs> take the marshmallows ice cream you know, confection out of it oh. and you're probably doing okay still oh i don't know because i went to the dentist this year and um i hadn't been in about a year and they told me to keep my sugar intake in check and i you know i, I uh i brushed heaps and i was really taking care of myself and uh seven cavities man seven cavities Ouch. in one sitting just like yeah so i've had i've had four or five of them drilled and filled uh which is Pretty catchy, if I do say so myself. I'll, I'll get back to them with that catchphrase. Um, but yeah, I had uh, four or five of them filled in, and I don't have the nerve to go back. Although they do give me Valium, and uh, Valium's pretty fun because they give it to you an hour before the session, so you get to just wander the city, letting it kick in. And at a certain point, you're not walking; you're floating about a foot above the ground. That's when, that's when you're primed to get drilled. You know? Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty harrowing. So. I have some good news for you. That you know, podcast thing yes. or the, the motivation for running thing that you were talking about. I am very confident. I, I don't have any direct connection with it, but I believe there is in fact a running guide podcast mm-hmm. that is set around a story of you being pursued by a zombie horde. <laughs> but wouldn't that like lessen every time you ran? You're like, oh, the zombies again. Like you would stop. Surely there would be need to be some kind of like serialized Walking Dead style narrative, right? Where like there were uh, plot yeah. arcs. Because if, if it's the same pursuit every day, it would cease to be interesting. It would be like, I am legend, you know? Yes, I, I agree. I, my understanding is that there's, yes, a number of stories mm. that you can use that have different intensities and different situations. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, consistent, you know, across the, the episodes, but that there are a number of episodes designed to be an hour long or half hour, 45 minute runs mm. where you might start out jogging and things build up and, you know, it's sort of they're telling you to run, they're coming, all that sort of stuff. The scares happen. Um, that, mm. So I understand. Right. I can't guarantee it's the case. Oh, no, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's amazing. But like I've had, I have also fallen into this nasty hole where um, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Sometimes when I'm running, and uh, I've just recorded an episode of 28 Plays Later, my gaming podcast. I will mm-hmm. I will jog listening to my own podcast and then I will catch myself laughing at myself, which is just the height of narcissism. Running around trying to, you know, make your body look better whilst laughing and getting winded at your own jokes. I mean, what an asshole. Um, but there is, because I have to listen to the podcast at some point. I listen back to every podcast yes. and I use that to kind of take notes and, you know, um, tweak the next, next podcast. And sometimes there's really weird specific complaints about like, we didn't mention a certain thing or we got a certain thing wrong. So I listen back to it to make sure that is or isn't true. And sometimes mm. that just happens to happen while I'm jogging. Um, is that bad that I run around listening to myself? No, in my I don't holes? think that's bad at all. Mm. I just, I'm, you've got to quality control your output, right? Also, let's be honest. I, 
because I'm, I'm actually really proud of it. Like it's, it's, it's a self-made thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's arguably one of the most successful things I've done. And, you know, me and Chris made it happen off our own backs. Like it wasn't for anyone else when it was going mm. at triple J and I was getting air checks, I'd be sitting down with, you know, the head of programming and they'd be going through every talk break and critiquing everything. And if they didn't like a tone of the tone of the comedy or whatever, they could say that and I would have to go, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Whereas with this show, like I'm air checking myself in a way. Yes. And there's something so satisfying about getting to kind of just be, oh God, I guess be your own boss. Although Chris and I are kind of equally accountable to each other. Um, yeah. It's just, I haven't had this much fun in a long time, man. It's, it's so good. It's so great. I'm loving it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. What Christmas traditions do you have that you hold dear? Christmas traditions. Okay. Um, there's this, back in the like early 2000s, there was a revival of lounge music, which is a series mm. of genres from the 50s. And uh, this record label called Ultra Lounge basically like dredged up and restored like hundreds of tracks and put them in these beautiful compilations with like liner notes with cocktails and like leopard print fur under that CD clamp thing in the disc. It, it was amazing. So my parents got really into ultra lounge and ultra lounge released a Christmas album of like mm-hmm. lounge music covers from the fifties of famous Christmas songs. And right. we had this tradition that got more and more cemented or calcified, if you will, uh, <laughs> every year. And my dad would sit there, put on the Ultra Lounge Christmas album and then hand out presents. But he was really anal about it. So he's like, he, he painstakingly go through the pile of presents um, and then go, oh, Paul, this is for you from Anne, my sister. And then he would hand mm. me the present and everyone would watch while I opened the present. And everyone was totally stoked the whole time, except as it went on, everyone would get pissed at dad because he wouldn't speed up and he wouldn't turn the album off. So the album would loop. So what happened was like, uh, I think this time last year or the year before I went back to Sydney and had Christmas with my folks for the first time in a long time. And dad did it again for like, I hadn't been, I hadn't had a Christmas with him for like eight years. I went back and he he did it. And I just, I had tears streaming down my face. Like it meant so much to me. God, it meant so much to me that he was still doing this thing. And then he got me this present that blew my mind. Cause when I was, um, my dad's an antique dealer. And when I was a teenager, Mm. I was really into uh, samurai swords in that I wanted one and I, of course, didn't have one. So sure. in my early 20s, uh, Kill Bill came out and again, the samurai sword fetish sprang up. And for Christmas, dad procured me this beautiful samurai sword, like just from auction as part of his, you know, on his travels. Wow. He got me this beautiful sword. And about five days later, he came up to me and goes, uh, uh, listen, mate, um, we're kind of going through a slight rough patch financially because uh, just like a good thing or two happened and we'll be fine in a few weeks but um can i hate to ask you this and he was so upset asking he's like can can we can we sell the sword i'll get you another one i promise and i was like that's that's totally fine like i honestly love my dad and i didn't care and i was like he clearly was like quite upset so he sold the sword and then at christmas at this christmas i'm talking about after eight years of not seeing them he hands me this little package and he's looking at me and he's very very like just the anticipation was palpable and Mm. he opens it and it's the hilt guard because this sword he got me originally was like a replica right Mm. but he hands me this package i open it and it's this ornate hilt guard that was like hand forged and it was like it's about 500 years old and it's from an actual samurai sword and he wrote me this long letter basically apologizing and i just started bawling and he was bawling and in the background was this stupid music (laughs) 
and, and everybody, everybody's crying and laughing. And it was like, it was the most pure goddamn, just like, just intense Christmas moment. And this year I get to take Tegan to Sydney for Christmas and oh, wow. we're going to do the whole Christmas thing. We're going to get an Airbnb place. My parents are going to come by. My sister, who's an amazing pastry chef, is got, not a chef, but she makes pastry. Uh, it's, it's a different deck, same ship. So she's going to yep. come along and uh, cook for us and we're going to put that album on. It's going to be so good. Oh. It's going to be so good. So I'm really excited about that. So Christmas is very important for me. That is the single most important Christmas tradition. Just just that exact moment. Um, and it's never forced and it's never weird insofar as it is weird, but it's never like fake. Um, and I, I just, you know, it's it's going to be so much fun, man. I'm so it's excited. so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good Christmas. Wow, Paul. Wow. Um, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, I have a bunch of stuff I want to achieve. Uh, I have a bunch of projects I want to get off the ground. I... After Chris came down and was flown down for PAX, we did the big 1500-seater live show and it was stupidly ambitious and really fun. I'm hoping yes. to fly up to America for uh, PAX Prime over in the States. So wow. so I'll fly up to America, um, probably stay with uh, Chris or near Chris because he has a baby and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be a bad influence. So uh, yeah, I'll head up there. I'll do some live shows up there. We'll do some touring, which will be really nice. Um uh, I'm hoping to do a new festival show because um, I did my first show last year at a uh, comedy festival and fringe festival called Tell Me Lies and it was my first solo stand-up show. I want to do another solo stand-up show. I want to get back into that. Um, yep. Hopefully more stuff with Watson. Uh, God, there's so many projects I'm not allowed to talk about, which is really exciting. It's going to be a big, a very big 12 months. Oh, and also I'm going to try and get to Japan. It's been a lifelong goal and I want to go to Japan. Um, just really want to go. So... Paul, wow. Uh, just, it, it has been so great speaking with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Please, please know that you are highly valued. And I, I am, uh, I think what you've said is, is really special. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. Very clearly, Paul, you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, okay. Um, if you want to add me on Steam, if you're a gamer, um, my Steam name is at it's Paul Verhoeven, as in the at symbol, um, at it's Paul Verhoeven. Uh, you can add me on um, the PlayStation Network if you want to play some Destiny with me because I'm still addicted to that. Um, <sighs> it's Paul Verhoeven. I'm on Facebook. Um, you should definitely head across and uh, check out uh, our podcast, 28 Plays Later. It's a video game comedy podcast. Yep. It's at 28playslater.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page and we constantly are giving away free stuff. And uh, we're on iTunes uh, because everyone's on iTunes. Um, and I think I have a LinkedIn account, but I'm never going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Paul Verhoeven is indeed human.